You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Rua Space Podcast. I am Phil Vestal. And I'm Erin. And we're so glad to have you here with us today, where we explore how we can make space for the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. And today's episode is another episode in our What Does the Bible Say About series. And today we're exploring what the Bible says about the spiritual discipline of simplicity. Again, kind of like what we've talked about recently with serving a little bit of a different spiritual discipline because it's not the same as silence, solitude, scripture, prayer, that type of thing. This is making a space. This is making space literally with your (laughs) physical space, not as much in your mind, heart, spirit, but literally the physical stuff around you. Well, and I think our listeners might be surprised to hear that simplicity is a spiritual discipline. No, absolutely. But again, it's this, it's, it actually has some deep connections throughout scripture. Mm -hmm. So for example, when Jesus is talking to a man in Luke chapter 12, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Or in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking about looking at creation, such as the birds, he's like, well, look, they don't store up in barns, yet God provides for them. So why are we anxious about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear? So there's sort of this consistency especially in the teachings of Jesus about Mm -hmm. possessions aren't what will bring you joy. It's not where full life is found. And then we end up discovering that when we can have less, it creates space actually for more of what really matters. Right. Well, and I think even back to the time of the Israelites, the 10th commandment is to not covet, which is Mm. to desire what your neighbor has. And so the very first set of Uh, living standards that the Israelites are given officially by God to set them apart from other peoples and say, now you've been claimed, you are my people, here's how you're to live. One of the items on there is to practice the Sabbath, which we covered, but another one is to not covet, to not want and desire what other people have. And I think it's because coveting, uh, and God knew this when he set out those commandments, I think coveting robs us of our gratitude because Mm. we can't desire one thing and have another. And so if you're coveting... You can't serve two masters, right? Right. Well, and that's another thing Jesus tells us, right? You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God Um, and money, right? Right. And so I think think if your heart is full of gratitude for what you have, um, it's hard to want uh, like right you it or maybe I should flip that if you're wanting what your neighbor has all the time it's hard to be grateful for what you have and so we see that at odds and um and then it's hard to be present because right. you're just thinking about a different life in the future potentially. or how to, how to earn up for it right or and then you end up missing happen. out what's important now right yeah I think and this is why you know there's a tradition throughout throughout the church history of simplicity and a number of people take it to one side of the spectrum, which is quite severe, which is to take a vow of poverty and say, I'm going to take on this state of simplicity so that things don't get in the way of me serving God. 
And I don't think you have to take a vow of poverty in order to practice simplicity. But the other end of the spectrum is I think where our culture encourages us to be, which is to consume and to have bigger and better. And when you think about it, um, you know, we're in America and we're in a capitalist society. That's how our that's how our world operates. And so if we aren't buying the next big thing and upgrading constantly, it kind of, you know, there's no reason why our culture would promote that because then it ceases to work the way that it works. Um, so there's two ends of a spectrum. And I think our, our challenge is how can we embrace simplicity and move ourselves to a healthy place? Right. And, and that's why people were moving to the desert. You're kind of referring to like the mm-hmm. monastics, right? And even right. modern day priests and some other people, monks, will take that vow of poverty. And the idea was sort of by removing the distraction and the stimulus of all the stuff, mm-hmm. they could better hear from God. But then what's interesting, and this is sort of connected to fasting, when you remove something, it helps you see it as it really is better. Mm -hmm. But when you're surrounded by it, it seems normal. I mean, humans, we're so good at adapting (laughs) and we get used to the status quo of our life, of our situation. So we get used to having stuff around and we think that that's just normal. But as much as we've talked about in meditation and prayer, making space to hear from God because of the noise in our head, There can be noise in our life Mm -hmm. when we have clutter, when we have too much stuff. I mean, think about the more stuff you buy, the more money you need to keep it up, Mm -hmm. to pay your credit card bills, to keep your house clean. I mean, how many people own multiple storage units because the stuff that they need in their house, right, or that they have doesn't fit in their house. But I have so much stuff. Now I need to pay for an extra place and I need to protect it. So I need insurance and all of it. See, and, and that's just the beginning. I mean, I could go on and on and on about how complex it gets the more stuff we have in our lives. Mm -hmm. Actually, I would say there's an inverse relationship between the amount of stuff we have and our happiness, joy, contentment. The more we have, the the more it goes down. So they're like opposite curves going in different directions. Well, and that's actually something that's been coming up in research and has gotten really trendy recently. It's getting a lot of attention because it's countercultural is this trend towards simplicity. And um, you may have heard of Marie Kondo. She's a Japanese basically like decluttering expert. And she gets to the heart of things. and, And now, disclaimer, if you see her show or you read her book, she is not a Christian. And we don't believe everything she teaches. (laughs) Um, But she does have uh, a way of helping people disconnect from their things and realize, I don't need this item to define me. You know, it's getting popular because I think people are realizing how sick it is making us to keep this up. One, we're seriously indebted. It's hard for many Americans to reconcile that and be able to live debt-free and use their money in a God-honoring way because they're straddled. Which is then a stewardship issue. Right. So simplicity actually has other biblical, theological, God relationship issues tied to it, like stewardship of our things. The more we own, the more we owe. It just creates problems in other ways, too. Right. And um, so so it's interesting that this is becoming so trendy. And one of the things that's happening now is there's been this kind of decluttering movement people have gone through. And uh, it turns out, 
I liked reading about a lot of the research on this, but it turns out that the issue isn't getting rid of your stuff because we have so much, we're comfortable getting rid of and parting with it. There's actually um, this psychological rhythm that we have from living with so much that we just fill it right back in. So you may find that you get inspired and you say, okay, I want to live simply. And getting rid of the stuff is great, Um, especially I'd encourage you to donate items to people who actually have a need. Find a person for each item. Don't just dump it somewhere. But then you've got still this inner working where we do need to practice gratitude and learn to find joy with what we've got because otherwise we are wired in our culture to then go and seek the next thing or have the next ad pop up on Facebook while you're scrolling through and you're like, ooh, I could use that, click. And all of a sudden you find that your simplicity you were striving for is now undermined because now you have new things that replace the old things Well, buying things is like the carrot that's on the end of a stick attached to your back, right? And it's like dangling out in front of you and you're chasing it, not realizing that it's literally impossible for you to ever get the carrot because the more you run toward it, it's it's attached to you, right? It's going out further. And I think that's true of things in the creation as well, that we're meant to have joy. And sometimes things can bring us joy, like in terms of engaging with them. But they can't really fulfill the deepest desires that we have in our life. I mean, it reminds me really of Isaiah chapter 44. The the passage says, starting in verse 9, and I'm going to jump around a little bit, all who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. And it starts telling a story, and it's a pretty fascinating story because it talks about a carpenter um, shaping something into human form. And in verse 14, it says, he cuts down cedars, or perhaps took a cypress or oak, He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and breaks bread. So he lets this tree grow, cuts it down, and then uses it for wood to make his food, right? Mm -hmm. But then the verse continues... But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal, roasts his meat, and eats his full. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god his idol. He bows down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Save me. You are my god. What's so interesting about that is it's he's sort of making fun of such a person Mm. saying here it is this tree that you let grow you cut down half of it you use for wood the other half you put all your hopes desires and salvation on and say this is my god and we look at that and say well i'd never worship a piece of wood yet literally right like what is money made out of literally out of wood that we also use to cook our food right? right and and that's really the way we make all of our things is it's maybe it's from something we mine out of the earth or a tree that we cut down or something that we shape and really the point of an idol is not necessarily shaping it in the form of a god and worshiping it it's anything that we put our ultimate hope and desires and fulfillment on. So we think, well, if I just get that house or if I just have that thing or if I just have this many TVs or this nice of a car or Mm -hmm. this type of stuff that we then are worshiping it in the sense that our energy goes toward making money to buy that thing so that our fulfillment will come from it. And Isaiah is like, that's so ridiculous. Look at what you're doing. But again, the more we're surrounded by it, the more we take for granted. Oh, no, this is what I need to be happy. And Isaiah's like, and Jesus is saying, 
it's never going to be found there. It's just impossible. So I want to do a little tangent. One of the things that really impacted us in our life is when we went to live in Africa and we moved into this village out in the bush of Africa. Um, It was quite remote and it was fascinating to spend time there because the people were full of love and worship and the hospitality we experienced from these people, the things they were willing to sit down and teach us, what they were, what they would share with us, it was just mind blowing. And yet, the country we were living in, uh, Malawi, was at the time the fourth poorest country in the world. These friends we made lived with nothing. I mean, like when you see what they had versus what we think of as poor in America, the poor in America look filthy rich compared to them. And so there's also this sense of perspective. And what's always really stuck with us is um, we would have seasons that were difficult and it would be compelling and feel it was easy to feel ungrateful for what we had. And it was easy to feel like, man, look at so-and-so. They've got this and we don't have that. Or, oh man, look at them. They're, this is working out so well for them. Or I wish we had this, this situation. And then we would stop and we would think about our friends who lived across the ocean and what they had and how they had so much less and yet they had so much more. Because while they had less of the physical possessions, what we experienced was they had some of the most vibrant faiths of anyone we've ever met. Still to this day, um, it, it, it was just, it was mind-blowing. And I recognize that not everybody can go move across the ocean to a poor country so that the people there can teach them how they live and have an impact on you. <laughs> um, that's not realistic, nor is that what God calls everybody to do. But we were um, we were looking at books for our kids the other day, and we came across this book called Material World, A Global Family Portrait. And it's by mm-hmm. Peter Menzel. And what the what these people did is, I believe it was a group of photographers. I might be wrong, um, so don't don't quote me on that. But what they do is they travel around the world, and they have an quote unquote average family from that region bring all of their possessions out of their house and pose for a portrait with all of their stuff in front of their house. And when you look at the pictures in this book you realize just how much the people who are like us have compared to the people who are not living here. (laughs) Um, And we're talking average family, so it's kind of your norm. And I'm not saying that people in poorer countries don't struggle with materialism or other things because they they absolutely do. But, But there is a sense in which sometimes I think we need a little bit of a reset that we are living in the top, what is the, what is the statistic you hear? Like we're living in the top five percent of the world like just by living in america it's some some crazy high sure. percentage of wealth that we have yeah here. that's that's concentrated here right right yet our happiness doesn't necessarily match <laughs> quite the same no maybe, in fact i think there's quite a bit of research showing the opposite right um, well i think this is why so many of the wise brothers and sisters who shaped our faith that came before us moved to the desert mm-hmm. and said, I'm not going to have a lot of things. And again, we're not saying move to the desert and become a monastic, but there's a sense no. in which how <laughs> can we own that type of discipline while living where we are? 
So not right. saying again, don't have a house, don't have a car, don't have a chair that you really like, whatever. But it is to say, I guess two things. One, what do you have around you mm-hmm. that's just getting in the way? Mm-hmm. And and I don't mean just getting in the way of one part of your life. I mean, literally too much stuff sucks the life out of our relationships with others, our contentment with ourselves and our relationship right. with God. Because as you were saying before, removing stuff, making space, you have to then be intentional about what you fill the space with. And right. the idea behind simplicity is saying, when I'm not having to worry and care for and pay for and work for and concern myself with all this other stuff or think that all my joy is going to come from all this stuff, it actually gives me more time and attention to spend in relationship with God, with my spouse, with my friends, with my kids, with my parents, with my neighbors, because you naturally have the literal space with which to do it. Right. And I think it's really a stewardship issue too then, because what you're what you're experiencing as you go into practicing simplicity is that you can choose to live without something intentionally such in order that people around the world aren't enslaved in order for you to own that item or the environmental um, such that the environment isn't going <laughs> to pieces because of you needing to have this. Um, Not just our consumption, but our waste. Right. The amount of stuff we're then throwing away or that's breaking and we just put it out at the curb. But it's like we don't shoot that stuff out into space. Right. Like literally our consumption has a direct effect on everybody in the world right. and on future generations. And yeah. so simplicity literally has this connection to justice yet again. Right. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. I mean, raising two toddlers right now. The other day we were taking our trash to the curb and my four-year-old looked at me and he goes, well, mommy, so where does it go? <laughs> and I was like, well, it goes to a place called a dump or a landfill. <laughs> and he goes, well, can we go to the dump? I was like, well, we don't usually go there. Um, I guess we could. <laughs> but I was like, you know, that's where all the garbage goes. And we make a big old pile and um, it sits there. And you could just see on his face, there's something about this pile of garbage sitting there that's not working right with him. Yeah. And then he points at our recycling bin and he goes, well, where does that go? And I said, well, people pick that up and they take it to make new stuff with it. And so we started pointing out things around the house that have been made out of recycled or partially made out of recycled materials. And he's thinking that's cool. Well, so... And then we just recently started composting because just because it's biodegradable, if it goes in the landfill, it doesn't biodegrade um the chemistry of that just doesn't work out quite right um but yeah it's this it's this we almost need to take the scales off of our eyes to see that what we're so comfortable with putting things out at the curb letting them disappear and be taken away they aren't actually disappearing they're just going elsewhere and then they're showing up in other places where it's not attractive and it's it's concerning. <laughs> well, that's the eyes to see and the ears to hear that Jesus is talking about. I mean, the spiritual disciplines, so much of what we're talking about with all of this is what we would call mindfulness and awareness mm-hmm. of having open eyes, open ears, an open heart to think w- broader, 
to think bigger, to see the bigger picture, to be more intentional, to be more aware. And this is one of those places where it can be hard because Mm -hmm. we can become so attached to our things. But Mm -hmm. again, they're not bringing us life. And so there's an invitation to say, how can I, this isn't even just about getting rid of stuff. Although we would invite you to start there to say, what is it you don't use? Or even things you use, but really aren't as efficient as they could be, aren't really providing for you what you think that they're providing. But you might have to fast from them for a little bit, right? Um, But to consider going forward consumption activity. To say now, before I bring something new in, it's not just about getting rid of, again, what are you going to replace it with? Being very aware of what am I going to buy, right? What am I going to spend my time on? What am I going to bring in? And be more intentional about Okay, well, who is this affecting? How am I going to get rid of it? What is it really going to provide? How many hours did I have to work to earn this thing that took me away from family or friends or God? And is that worth this thing, right? Right. So those more mindful questions from which we think, well, how does it affect me? How does it affect God? How does it affect others? How does it affect creation? And I think when we start thinking that way, it opens us up to a greater awareness in all of our life, which is what this is really about. You'll see others differently. You'll see yourself differently. You'll see your time mm-hmm. differently. You'll see your work and money. It, All of this ends up trickling down and interweaving into a life of greater presence. Right. I also want to say, um, so it's said loud and clear here, that simplicity does not mean forced poverty. And it does not mean um, not enjoying what you have or the things of this world being bad. No, right. Um, Because if you, like, we really like the book of Ecclesiastes, and it talks a lot about how our job here on earth is to enjoy what we have, thank God for it, and accept what comes because the good and evil will come, the good and the bad will happen. So, so there's, there's one sense in which Jesus clearly teaches on the importance of simplicity. He warns heavily about amassing wealth because it's a heart issue. You see, it's not, it's not that getting rid of all of your wealth is going to then make you the kind of person Jesus wanted you to be. It, that's backwards. It's that this recognition that Jesus had that when our heart is so focused on our stuff, we can't devote to God in the way that we're called to. And so simplicity comes about first and foremost by a devotion to God, earnest conversation and prayer. And then the simplicity is an outflowing of Christ becoming more important in your life and stuff becoming less important. So this isn't something Which you... Which then feeds on itself in a right, positive it, direction. It does. So this is a positive thing. Um, simplicity is not a platform from which to judge other people that they are less simple than you it's not earning you right something. you're not you're not buying your way into heaven god doesn't say become poor and then you get into heaven he just warns us that the wealthy will have a harder time finding their way in and it's, it's got a grip on us it's because stuff does and you think about like if you go out in public and you aren't dressed like your peers There's something in us that just doesn't like that. So, right? So that's how we end up in that rat race. And I think recognizing that is important. But there's also, there have been movements in the past of people taking it too far to something called asceticism. Is that how you say it? Did I pronounce it correctly? Mm -hmm. Um, And that that says we're not going to have any possessions. 
And that's not actually something that the Bible says we have to do. You can't live and follow Christ. If you feel called to do that, like you look at Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa did that and practiced, um, you know, she took the vow of poverty in order to serve in a particular way. But that's not what you have to do. So I just want to be clear because I think sometimes people hear simplicity and your picture of it may come from, is going to come from your own experience and story. But we are not advocating that. <laughs> We're saying when you love God so greatly and you develop that and you start living more and more and more intentionally with your stuff, you're going to find that you need less. Yeah. And so it's really an invitation again to awareness, an invitation to intentionality mm-hmm. and ultimately contentment. And, and generosity. Generosity, full joy, gratitude. It's all going to be linked together. But there's something about being intentional with our space and with our stuff. And then, of course, how that impacts our time, our resources, our relationships, justice, everything. And it's a practice of trusting God as well, that you're trusting him above your stuff to provide you the the foothold to keep going forward. (laughs) Absolutely. And we've just discovered that in our lives, as we create space for what truly matters, we do find that life to the fullest that Jesus promised. We find our relationships with one another and with God increasing. And it really just comes down to intentionality about what we allow into our lives, what we allow into our space, what we're putting our hopes, our dreams, our desires on. That creating stuff is good, that even sometimes buying stuff can be good, but the question becomes, what place does it have? Are we putting too many hopes and desires on it? Or is it in its proper relationship to us so that ultimately we always remember that everything comes from God, that it's about knowing, loving, and serving God, experiencing God's love, experiencing life in the moment with the people that matter, doing the things that matter. And when we're too cluttered, we just miss all of that. And so, brothers and sisters, our invitation would be for you to consider, are there things in your life that are getting in the way? Have they become too much? Have you spent too much time on them? Is there something that maybe it's time to move on from? And then to be mindful and really aware when you bring something new into your space, into your life, is it going to provide what it's promising? Will it bring life? Will it increase your ability to have space for the things that matter. And our prayer is that as you can embrace a life of simplicity, making space for the spirit, you will experience life to the fullest. That this will be one more way that you intentionally say to God, here I am, Lord. May I hear your voice. May I experience your presence. May I live life to the fullest as you created for it to live. So may you go forth, add simplicity to your spiritual discipline practice and experience the fullness of life with space for the Spirit. Grace and peace be with you.